guys are barrels of fun. This is section 422. Welcome to the section 422 podcast episode number 68. It is Monday, July 27th. Derek Van Riper here with Will Salmon. On this episode, we'll take a look back at the Brewers opening series with the Cubs and take a look forward to this week's matchups with the Pirates and Cardinals. Will, how's it going for you on this Monday? Good, Derek. Did you see Eric Lauer? How good did he look, right? That was excellent. Yeah, Eric Lauer looked great. Great start to the season for the Brewers. That's what you wanted to see. Eric Lauer coming out coming out on fire off the IL. They'll take small victories. Uh, clearly, Monday has not been a good news day around Major League Baseball. We're recording this just after 9 a.m. Central Time. Uh, the news regarding the Miami Marlins and the outbreak that that team has suffered over the weekend uh, is it's just a harsh reminder of what's happening in the world right now with the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, there's legitimately some question as to whether or not games are even going to be played league-wide Monday night. The Marlins-Orioles game has already been postponed. Uh, there could be other games canceled as well. I mean, the Marlins were just in Philadelphia. The Yankees are supposed to start a series with the Phillies on Monday. It seems like that would be a game. If it's not league-wide, that game at least would be one that could be postponed as well. But at least for now, uh, it looks like the Brewers are going to start a series with the Pirates on Monday night. So we'll break all that down in just a few minutes. A uh, few opening weekend observations, Will. Maybe you can shed some light on this. Uh, you were able to get to Wrigley this weekend. And uh, Ryan Braun was um, not seen as much as you'd expect Ryan Braun to be seen in an opening series, especially in a 60-game season where every game is worth almost three. 2.7 is the big number you hear teams throwing out right now. Uh, he was in the on-deck circle on Sunday when Orlando Arcia grounded into a double play at a point where the Brewers could have maybe rallied their way back into Sunday's game. But other than Friday night, he started and went 0-3. We didn't see Braun, and it led me to ask you is he still banged up what's really going on here he's fine that's that's to me like that's that's my, my biggest takeaway he's a completely a part-time player at this point I mean that's that's pretty obvious regardless of if he if there's a DH in the league or not it's he's not going to play every day he's not going to he may not play every other day and that that was pretty clear and I feel like the Brewers have options at DH and maybe part of that was to sort of get those guys involved I think that there's Logan Morrison on the roster and before rosters shrink, you want to see what he could provide for you and get a look at him and incorporate him into the offense in some way. And maybe that was part of it. Maybe part of it was trying to get Ben Gamble still in the lineup. And I think that it was important to DH Christian Yelich that second day. It was a, a noon start after a night game right away. So I, I got along with that line of thinking. But I expected to see Braun in the lineup on Sunday afterward, and he wasn't there, right? So definitely something that's worth keeping an eye on after all the injury talk leading up to the season, whether or not he would open the year on the IL, ends up being on the active roster and plays that one game. So I don't I don't know. I just my biggest takeaway was like I said, he's not gonna play every day, clearly. He's not gonna he may not play every other day for that matter. And I think expectations for him should be tempered accordingly. And I think if that's going to be the case, the Brewers need a lot from a few of their new acquisitions. They need Yelich to continue to play at an MVP level. They need Keston Hira to sustain at least what he did 
as a rookie, but it's going to take guys like Omar Narvaez stepping up and filling in pretty significant roles in the offense. It's going to take at least one of Smoke or Morrison, if not both, to contribute at a high level. Uh, Morrison, actually, in that start, it was an 0-4 on Sunday, but he had three hard-hit balls. He had one really late in the game. Albert Omora made one of the best catches we've seen in the young season to rob Morrison of probably at least a double off the wall, maybe even more. Uh, so I wouldn't necessarily look at his 0 for 4 and just say oh that was that was terrible why'd they put him out there like look at the underlying batted balls and they were actually well struck um, it really was a series about silver linings I mean on Saturday the Brewers bats woke up after Kyle Hendricks pitched really well in the opener uh, probably the best I've actually ever seen him pitch against the Brewers a complete game three hit shutout Orlando Arcia had all three hits for the Brewers in that one. Uh, that was a night where Brandon Woodruff pitched well. I mean, it, it was just a good pitcher's duel, and the Brewers happened to be on the wrong side of it. So I think it's easy to sort of come away from a series being discouraged. But when Kyle Hendricks locates around the edges, when he's getting calls just on the edges of the zone, he can be really tough, even though he doesn't bring overpowering velocity and overwhelming breaking stuff. Yeah, and he's always going to be economical with his pitches, too. So he's going to stay in the game. He's going to go deep into a game, even if it's the first star of the season, like we said. I mean, the, the dude was just over 100 pitches in the ninth. He looked like he could have went out and pitched a 10th inning if they needed him to. I mean, he was that good that night. And he looked to me, he looked like a clear-cut ace. I don't feel like people around the country look at Kyle Hendricks and say ace. But to me, I... I I was like, wow, this guy's impressive. He doesn't have that 95-mile-an-hour fastball. I'm not even sure if he ever topped 90 the other day. I think he was at 89 the whole game. <laughs> but he didn't have to be, man. He was getting them off balance. He just made them look silly. And so, yeah, but the Brewers are not going to win games. Like you mentioned the other guys, the sort of the surrounding cast around Keston Hira and Christian Yelich. But to be clear, like the Brewers are not going to win games when those guys – and Eric Sogard at the top of the lineup, mind you, one through one through three in your lineup – they're not going to win when those guys go combined. I think it was three for 35. Like, that's just not, they're going to go one and they were lucky to win that one game with that stat, to be honest with you. I mean, they had everybody else hit on sat on Saturday against the Cubs and that was good to see. And I'm with you with like your description of the silver linings because there are some things. It's like really easy to overreact to a three game series against the Cubs and be like, damn, you know. We saw what, what the worst case scenario close is here with the, with the Brewers. But really, like, if you squint a little bit, you could see some good stuff there. I mean, like Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta, for, for instance, to kind of shift the conversation to pitching a little bit. I never expected either of those guys to pitch more than four innings or so. So, like, I don't know, like, what the expectation was for a lot of fans. But, like, I never thought that they were going to pitch more than four innings. I think league-wide right now, there are some pretty wild expectations in a lot of fan bases that starting pitchers are still consistently going to go five and six innings. And that's just not how the game's going to be played, at least to begin this season. But that's really part of a broader trend. I think, you know, frontline type starters, guys like Brandon Woodruff, they will go five plus pretty often. We saw Woodruff go five. He, he pitched well in the opener. He was hitting 99, too. I think he had the uh, the three fastest pitches thrown in that game. StatCast had him up at 99, so nice to see that. Uh, but with Burns and Peralta, efficiency is not necessarily the strength of Freddie Peralta anyway. I think back to when Giovanni Gallardo was the ace in Milwaukee a few years ago, and there were a lot of outings. Yo would get to 100 pitches in the fifth inning. And, you know, every once in a while he could get deeper into his start. But 
I think unless Freddie Peralta finds a way to get through at bats quicker, he's always going to be a four and five inning sort of guy as long as he's a starter. And I say as long as he's a starter because who knows? He might be a two or three inning reliever. He might be part of this sort of hybrid approach that teams are going to start taking. And I think things unraveled for him in the fourth inning in a pretty big way on Sunday. The Cubs really blew that game open. Uh, it was interesting to see Corey Knable come out of the bullpen in that spot and try to put that fire out. We'll talk about Knable in just a little bit. But there were some good things in Freddie's performance. Like I came away kind of impressed seeing a, a little bit more than the typical two-pitch mix from him. We did see that curveball a little bit. He was locating it pretty well. Uh, so I, I came away feeling all right, despite the fact that the box score was pretty ugly. I mean, four runs on three innings is never good. But watching him... It was just that kind of typical inconsistency. He did get through the first inning without damage, too, which the first inning has been a house of horrors for Freddie Peralta throughout most of his time in the big leagues. Yeah, it just goes back to like what your expectations were, right? I mean, like if you expected Freddie Peralta to to go out there against a really good Cubs lineup and and throw six quality innings, then you were not you were going to be disappointed, you know, and 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 you became disappointed if that if that was your expectation because it was just never going to really happen for for a guy who is just now starting to throw a third pitch and throw more of a second pitch and a curveball for that matter. So that was the first time. And I think that's key context as well. That was the first time the guy went to the mound with three pitches and like ready to throw them in any given count really. And he did. And I thought he did a pretty decent job at that for a little, for the first three innings. And then just everything was lost as far as command goes. Didn't have the fastball threw it. I think eight times in a row, couldn't locate it. Slider was his last pitch, I believe, and that was a I think that was a ball for that for that walk. So yeah, he completely lost it in the fourth inning. But to what you said, like the Brewers are built for that sort of thing though. It's not as if like they went into that game and said, Okay, Freddie get us to the sixth and seventh and we got our middle relievers and we're gonna get to Hater. Like that that just wasn't in the cards. Like they uh reactivated Eric Lauer with the idea of him pitching on Sunday. Like that was part of the plan. And so that tells you all you need to know about what they anticipated getting from Freddie Peralta because you know, Craig Council said he was Eric Lauer was gonna pitch two or three innings. On, on Sunday. And so, okay, you do the quick math. Chances are Eric Lauer is not going to be pitching into the seventh and eighth inning, right? I, I wouldn't think so, at least not with a, not with a lead. Like that's when you start to get to your high leverage guys in the bullpen, whether that's Knable or David Phelps, who's looked good or, or then Josh Hader, or perhaps two innings for Josh Hader since he hadn't, hasn't pitched yet, by the way. So yeah, I, I feel like the Brewers are built for it. It's an interesting thing with their rotation and their pitchers because it's, Still unclear what the long-term thing is for all those guys, even in just the 2020 season. So they could go a whole bunch of different ways. We could see Eric Lauer eventually get into the starting rotation. But even if he does, it's not as if that's a guy that's going to go out there and throw a quality start every time either. So, you know, they have that group of guys with Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta, Eric Lauer, and Brett Anderson's coming back too. But even just those three guys that I mentioned before, Anderson, you know, they're going to do a lot of mixing mixing and matching over the course of the season. And they're going to ask those guys to get you three, four, five innings. Maybe Lauer pitches more than that. Maybe he's good enough to. We'll see. But right now, um, with him start of still needing to ramp things up, I don't expect it. So we'll see how things play out over the course of the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I think the other thing that really kind of caught my eye, too, is when you throw Eric Lauer from the left side after you've got Freddie Peralta from the right side, regardless of the order, 
those are very different looks. I mean, Freddie with his kind of unusual delivery uh, really hides the ball really well, so that velocity plays up a little bit. But then Lauer was really doing a good job working away. I think it was that slider that he kept throwing, and he was locating it on the outer edges of the plate, getting hitters to chase, picked up six strikeouts in two and two-thirds innings. If you can, in tandem, get six or seven from those two guys combined every fifth day, you're happy with that. And I think that's sort of the approach that we'll see with Corbin Burns and Brett Anderson when Anderson comes back as well. Even though Anderson has pitched a little deeper into games in the past, maybe he's a four-grinning guy, five max. I think about the usage of like Gio Gonzalez last year and, and Wade Miley two years ago. I think that's kind of the the maximum volume we could expect from a guy like Anderson. Baseball is back, and as you enjoy a nice cold beverage while watching games, you can have the best mug on the block thanks to Dugout Mugs. Dugout Mugs is a company that started in a college baseball dugout, hence the name, Dugout Mugs. Dugout Mugs takes the barrel of a baseball bat and turns it into a 12-ounce mug, plus the mugs are licensed by Major League Baseball, so you can get a Brewer's logo laser engraved right onto a Birchwood baseball bat barrel mug. They're perfect for the big game or to put on display, and they make great gifts for any baseball fan. Go to dugoutmugs.com slash theathletic and use promo code MLB30 for 30% off your first purchase. That's dugoutmugs.com slash theathletic and code MLB30. Uh, circling back to Corbin Burns for a moment, I thought he'd get a little deeper into the game. I think he would have if it weren't for a few walks. That pitch count got up pretty high pretty quickly on Saturday, but overall, a good performance for him. You know, For a guy that had so much trouble with his fastball, Last season, it was nice to see that that pitch wasn't a major problem for him. Only two hard-hit balls in this game for him. And six Ks over three and a third, and Brent Suter came in, went two and two-thirds. They kind of did with Suter in that game what I think they could have done with Brett Anderson if he were healthy. Yeah, 100%. And so that was the big thing, too. And, and even just a macro look at the Brewers roster and how they opened things up, it was pretty obvious when they didn't have Shelby Miller on the roster that they were going to go that route and put Suter in the game early if they needed if they needed that bridge guy or that guy to get you a few innings in between. And that was pretty clear. And then it, it was also pretty obvious that they thought Eric Lauer was going to be pretty healthy because you weren't going to put Shelby Miller on the roster just to take him off the roster in two days. Like they, they like Miller. They, they foresee a future for him with on the Brewers in some capacity and they may need a spot start for him or something like that down the road. So the whole thing, if you look at the Brewers, uh, pitching staff, it, you know, it, it kind of tells you what you thought about it heading into this year that they were sort of built to, to ride this wave and, and to utilize their tandem starts. And, and we'll see it unfold. I think when Anderson joins the team at some point. Uh, but both quickly on Corbin Burns too, like I'm with you. I thought he could have went deeper and I think that there's a good chance he does go deeper if he gets another start too, because he showed enough to me that makes you feel good about where he's at. That's another guy like we talked about with Freddie, you know, Corbin Burns is also working on some different stuff. You know, he, he's incorporating that two seamer into his arsenal now and he used that pitch quite a bit as well against the Cubs and that's new for him and so he wasn't just relying on that four steamer which he really couldn't command too well either so it's just worth pointing out that for those two guys I mean they got a long way to go but we're talking about guys who are bringing new things and they're still sort of evolving right before our eyes yeah I think the key difference for me is that at this point Burns's command and the depth of his arsenal both seem to be a little further along than Freddie Peralta so I think with that 
that makes Burns more likely to be a guy who eventually is getting five, maybe sometimes six innings in a start. But if Freddie does that, it's because everything's working on a day. We've seen him get deep into a game on occasion. And when he does that, he's clearly unhittable. Like he just has like A plus stuff some days and he's locating perfectly and he's getting close calls and he's not falling behind in counts and everything goes right. And you feel so good watching Freddie Peralta on those days. But on other days, it's uh, a bit more of a, a bumpy path and certainly a lot of frustration, which we got a little bit of both, I think, in his first start of the season on Sunday. Uh, one other quick note to pass along from the weekend. We didn't see Brock Holt. He's been dealing with a sprained ankle. I think I saw he stepped on a baseball, so uh, still waiting for Holt to make his big league debut. But that third base rotation, I guess we'll call it, that's going to be a trouble spot for this team. I was a little surprised to see Sogard atop the batting order. I don't think that's at all set in stone. Most batting orders are written in pencil anyway. Uh, but I could I could see Lorenzo Cain getting back into that leadoff spot. I mean, if he kind of picks up where he left off at the end of 2018, uh, bounces back from an injury plague 2019, Lorenzo Cain could be the leadoff hitter on this team by the end of this week. Yeah, I thought Cain was hitting the ball pretty well, actually. I thought he had some hard-hit balls in a series that didn't feature a whole lot of those for the Brewers. And so uh, there was there were some things that you could be optimistic about when you were looking at Lorenzo Cain over the weekend, I thought. And so I'm with you. I could see that. Uh, Jed Jerko uh, got a pinch hit appearance late in the game on Sunday. And a key reason why I saw some people asking about him, the key reason why he hasn't played or started, I should say, yet is because they haven't seen a lefty start, starter. And that's going to be his role. He's going to hit left-handed pitching or bat against left-handed pitching starting pitching at least, at third base. And so I think when that does happen, we would see Kane in the leadoff spot if Sogar's not in the lineup for sure. And that gives you another option. Brock Holt could be an option at the leadoff spot too if he, if and when he comes back um, from what appears to be a minor injury that I believe Tom Hodricard at the uh, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel first reported and counsel confirmed that that indeed happened where he kind of rolled his ankle a little bit. So we'll see him in time. Uh, there are some options there, but again, like I go back to anytime we're talking about the offense with the Brewers, man, a series like that from Christian Yelich, they're not going to win. Like they don't have enough around him and they can't have him go uh, one hit, regardless if that one hit was a home run, a timely home run at that. They're just not going to win a series that way. Yeah, they got contributions up and down the lineup on Saturday. Only Orlando Arcia, who had three hits in the loss on Friday, went without a hit from the starting nine. So uh, a lot of hard hit balls on Saturday. I think the key in the matchups against the Cubs going forward is getting into their bullpen. Like The Cubs' starting rotation is solid. you got a few crafty veterans who aren't necessarily as good as they used to be. You know, A guy like John Lester, for example, who we didn't see in this series. You have Hendricks and Darvish up top. At least they got to Darvish. I think that's a really good sign for the offense because Darvish was amazing in the second half of last season. He stopped walking guys, strikes a ton of guys out. When Hugh Darvish has things working, he's a top 10 starting pitcher in the league. So I think getting into the Cubs' bullpen will be a key for all matchups against them going forward this season. Uh, one last uh, area to look at, the bullpen. You know, you mentioned Josh Hader didn't get into any of the games, which, based on game flow, there was no reason to bring him in Sunday because it was a blowout late. Saturday, it was a blowout in the Brewers' favor late, so no need to use him there. And Friday, trailing by two, that wasn't really the spot either. So 
I imagine he is going to have an outing where he just gets some work in one of these games against Pittsburgh just because eventually you want to get him out there, even if it's only for an inning, so then you've got him available for the following day. Maybe the situation will actually be a typical Josh Hader situation as well. But as far as the rest of the bullpen goes, of the relievers we saw otherwise, who stood out to you in a good way? Oh, good way. I thought you were going to start off in a bad way because I was ready for the bad way. But, uh, <laughs> you know, in a good way, let me think for a second. <laughs> um, I mean, Suter was good in his role, and that's what you expect. Work fast, get some outs, do his thing. He did that. I thought Devin Williams was um, pretty solid. He got into a little bit of trouble but got out of it. Uh, he had that really nice wipeout changeup to get that sh- big strikeout. So that was cool to see. Uh, JP Fireisen made his debut in an interesting spot he came in after Corey Knable in that opener and he he served up the home run uh Fire Eisen did but again I think that he's a guy that a lot of people are high on and not just because he's from Wisconsin he's got a good he's got a good arsenal you know the season that he put up in the minor leagues last year was pretty eye-opening so he I think he's an intriguing guy for the bullpen I think that the most interesting thing about their bullpen was uh Corey Knable's usage I mean he came in a little bit early in the opener to get that inning. I thought that was a good spot for him. It was the way Council explained it to me when I asked about why it was that spot versus later in the game. He said, look, you know, we had a better chance at winning because we had more outs to play with. So we wanted our better guy in and Corey Knable is that guy. So that made sense to me. And it was nice to see him get that inning in and he looked pretty sharp and it was his first outing after the surgery. So everything was good. But then he comes in on Sunday and you liked a little bit of it, but then the result, like you liked what you saw, I felt like, because the curveball was the curveball for the most part. And the fastball was topping out at around 96 miles an hour, which was a couple of ticks higher than what he was throwing in summer camp. But the results were horrible. I mean, it was three straight hits, three straight singles, all exit velocities over a hundred. One was at 111, I think was the highest. And so he was hit hard. They pounced on those fastballs and. It was, a, it was a key spot. I mean, it was the fourth inning. There was nobody out, so it was early. Don't get me wrong there, but there were runners on base. The Brewers were in the game, and you needed a guy to get out of that jam, and so they tapped Knable for it, and he just, did, he just didn't have – he just couldn't get the job done. Right. The concept of using Knable there absolutely made some sense, though, because if the Brewers could have put that fire out and – kept the game a little closer. It increases the win probability. Uh, kind of falls in line with the Friday night plan. I, I remember as soon as the uh, as soon as Canable entered that game to face the bottom part of the order, I, I sent you a message. I said, that's kind of surprising. I would have figured they would have saved him to face the top of the order in the next inning. But thinking about it the way Council explained it, that's a perfectly viable option too. It, it might even be close to a coin flip sort of decision in terms of long term, like which is actually better. But I think trying to preserve the score and give yourself a better chance with your best reliever is the best option at this point. If you were to guess on average how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week, maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities, basically a month. And if you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. 
And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash Brewers for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Brewers for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Um, let's take a look ahead at some of the matchups this week. We have the Pirates in Pittsburgh to begin the week, and we've got the Cardinals going to Miller Park to end the week this weekend. As you start to think about the Pirates, this is the team that in the division is a cut below the rest right now. And I think whoever wins the division and probably whoever makes the playoffs out of the NL Central, they might be the teams that fare best against the Pirates, like not faltering in matchups you should win. So look, a 60-game season, every game is two to three times more important than normal. But not going into Pittsburgh and getting beat is really important. So kind of feel like there's extra pressure already on the Brewers coming out of the weekend against the Cubs simply because the Pirates are one of those teams that you have to at least win your series against this season. Yeah, that's a great point. And I also feel like not to crush this point too much, but like, you know, if they don't hit against the Pirates, then that's concerning. So, <laughs> so that's, that's your test right there is if, I think that's when you start to hit that panic button a little bit, even though it's so early right now. But I could get with, I could get along with the fans thinking that it would be time to be a little bit, uh, a little bit concerned if, if you're not hitting the, the big time pitcher hurler, the big time Pittsburgh Pirate hurlers, um, even though it's early in the season. Yeah, you look at the matchups. Adrian Hauser will go Monday. Stephen Brault goes for the Pirates. Josh Lindblom makes his Brewers debut on Tuesday. Derek Holland for the Pirates in that one. The final game of the series on Wednesday. Brandon Woodruff against Joe Musgrove. So the two frontline guys matching up in that last game, especially against Brault and Holland. The Brewers' bats need to wake up. I think we'll see some righty-heavy lineups in those first two games, both of those starters being lefties. Looking ahead to the weekend series, Corbin Burns lined up to get the first start. It's not confirmed just yet, but he would go against the Cardinals if things stay on the regular schedule. Maybe we get Brett Anderson back this weekend. I think that's at least a possibility for the Saturday matchup against the Cardinals. And then Adrian Hauser, if the order holds up, could go again on Sunday. Uh, so pretty interesting matchups all across the board. We'll see uh, Jack Flaherty, the Cardinals' young starter, likely in that matchup on Friday. Adam Wainwright and Dakota Hudson going on Saturday and Sunday. I think those last two guys, especially Wainwright and Hudson, those are guys you can hit. Those are guys you can get after. The case of Jack Flaherty, you know, you're looking at a game like we saw in the opener against Kyle Hendricks. It might be a, a tight, low-scoring game, so finding a way to, to get quality innings from Burns and that bullpen will be key in that matchup. Yeah, and just to quickly about the pitching matchups for the Brewers in this series too. I'm, I'm pretty excited to see Josh Lindblom um, on, on Monday night throw. Uh, I mean, Tuesday night, excuse me, throw and then Hauser on Monday night. So those are two guys that I'm actually pretty excited to watch for different reasons. Hauser, you want to see him take that next step and sort of evolve into a guy that can give you more than five innings or so eventually. I'm not sure if, you know, Monday night's the time to do that, but that's kind of going to be his key is, you know, how, how long can he maintain his stuff for the command of his stuff and, and command that sinker and get it going. And then with Limbloom, it's just a, it's just a really cool story to see him back and in, in the major leagues, of course, against the team that he used to play for too, mind you, to start things off. So that's pretty neat. 
Um, and then his array of pitches and speeds, it's just fun to watch. And I'm, and I'm excited for Brewers fans to watch him because I've seen him a little bit in summer camp and it's been cool. And I'm optimistic about both those guys. I really am. I think that they, there's reason to think that both of them could be pretty good, pretty good for the Brewers this season. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Getting the first look at Lindblom in a game situation. Looking forward to watching that matchup on Tuesday. Hoping this series goes off as planned. Obviously, as we mentioned at the top, uh, a lot happening within Major League Baseball uh, as a result of the Marlins dealing with an outbreak. Several other teams having players testing positive or at least going on the IL for illnesses recently as well. So we get to keep a very close eye on things and. Things are very day-to-day right now, league-wide, but all we can do is hope for the best at this point. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Section 422. You can find Will on Twitter, at Will Salmon. I'm at Derek Van Riper. Get 40% off a subscription at theathletic.com slash 422. If you've got questions that you'd like us to get to on a future episode, please send those our way via Twitter. And if you're enjoying this podcast on a platform like Apple Podcasts where you can leave us a rating and review, please take a moment to do that. We'd greatly appreciate it. For Will Salmon, I'm Derek Van Riper. Thanks for listening. We're back with you next week from Section 422.